you might see websites and you know promotional material you know we we protect you um so those sorts of things and um you know the the those sort of big statements need to um need to be assessed in terms of your of your risk and indeed what you're putting into your agreements in in that regard Welcome to Insights as a Service. This is episode 43, if I'm not mistaken. And today we're talking about all things legal in the MSP space. Uh, the risks to look out for, how to not over-deliver on projects, maximize profitability, etc., etc. And because I have no idea what I'm talking about in that space, I am joined by Anne Hall from IT Agree, the Agreement Lifeguard. And thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks, Brendan. It's great to be here. Where are you today? Are you based in, I want to say Auckland, but I'm probably wrong. I'm in Auckland, New Zealand, yeah. You are. I got it right. Look at me go. Okay, good. So uh, I guess let's actually start off by kind of setting the scene. So in your experience, what are the legal pain points you see most commonly experienced by MSPs? So they might not be exactly what you think. In fact, you know, when it comes to MSPs, um, it's plain to see that MSPs are providing amazing services, you know, and... Um, often, of course, they are passionate about the services they provide. And on the surface, things look good. It's underneath that, you know, we find most MSPs will say they're concerned about business risk. And, you know, that comes down to what's happening with them day to day. It's not legal risks as in being uh, facing legal proceedings. Um, that's, in fact, very rare, fortunately, but it's the sorts of things that impact them on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, which are, you know, out-of-scope work that uh, their team is handling without uh, additional charges, those sorts of things that cut away at the profitability. Um, it's, it's revenue leakage, you know, leaving money on the table, those sorts of things, concern about uh, cyber attacks, concern about responsibilities when it comes to reselling third-party services. Right, and I imagine that particular one's only getting more common is you know, the ecosystem that, that MSPs are working with just keeps growing more SaaS vendors, more applications being used. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with, with uh, you know, still increasing migration to the cloud amongst businesses, um, you know, and they're looking to the MSP to provide those services. It's a real myriad of uh, opportunity and also risk, mm. you know, for the, for the MSP right there. I know too, having worked in, in smaller businesses where, you want to go after big deals sometimes, but the 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 need to have very clear frameworks, very clear um, service levels, um, you know, master service agreements, um, perhaps service levels as well. Just just things that bigger entities, bigger um, whether it's you know government or enterprise, expect you to have. Um, want to be able to sign, have their in house you know legal team look over. It gets quite intimidating, and I imagine that for MSPs that are looking to scale, that that's one of their sort of pain points as well as they just don't quite know where to start with that. Exactly. And, and you know, there comes a, you know, a trigger point at which they realise, you know, the way they've been operating is not necessarily going to cut it as they, as they seek to grow and get, you know, more clients and bigger clients um, and provide more services, you know. So, um, you know, for, for a lot of uh, MSPs, of course, the customer's, can easily see that they're highly experienced and they trust them. And whilst that trust is obviously a good thing, it's also the cause of a lot of problems, you know, because what's obvious to the MSP is far from obvious to the customer. Mm. 
Okay. All right. Let's dive more into that in a, in a sec. Uh, I, and I want to talk to you as well about the kind of uh, frameworks and, and agreements that that MSPs just need to have to to limit risk and drive profitability. But let's let's step back a, a sec and talk about you and IT Agree. Give us the details. So, where have you come from? What was the genesis for starting IT Agree, and and what is it hoping to deliver? Sure. Okay. So, um, you know, a snapshot back to the to the early days. We have to go back to 1992. In fact, showing my age. But, uh, you know, at that stage, I was working for one of the big law firms here in New Zealand. And uh, Bell South came into New Zealand from the US, um, and it was a client of the firm I was working working for. Uh, and I was put onto the IT contracts. So there weren't really IT lawyers around. I suddenly had this, you know, these huge tasks in front of me of writing and negotiating these big agreements for the technology uh, on which that mobile network was being built. And, you know, I had to figure out, What's going on here? Um, what's important? What are the issues? What do we need to really focus on? What are the risks? And so in that, I, you know, I learned hey, there's, there's a whole lot of different parties involved in projects. And the same is true with MSPs today. It's not, you know, as we've seen with the third-party services, there's a whole lot going on. And so if we can identify the different roles and responsibilities, um, that helps to shape up, you know, how the agreement should be uh, should be prepared, um, because that's really what we are looking at. You know, what are the responsibilities? Where are the risks? And where should those two types of things naturally uh, sit? So from there, you know, it it became my thing. I I, uh, became an IT lawyer, uh, I wouldn't say overnight, but, you know, uh, after a couple of years of doing that day in and day out, I thought, you know, this is a really good area. I stayed at the law firm for quite a number of years, then set up my own law practice, focusing entirely on IT law. And I could see that, well, it wasn't hard to see, you know, partners struggle with agreements. So I went to Microsoft and I said, your, your partners globally are struggling with agreements. I'd like to provide agreement solutions. So that's that's uh, that's what IT Agree is now, providing those agreement solutions to uh, MSPs and other, and other partners globally. Nice. Okay, great. And so IT Agree has been going since which year? Well... I guess that my first joint overseas to the US uh, was in 2017, um, but you know it, it had it had brewed up for right. a while as I was uh, still you know working in my law practice, really busy with that, but increasingly wanted to to shift on to uh, providing these solutions. In your experience working with MSPs, you know how is it is it seen as like a cost center, or is it seen as something that will help drive profitability? You know how is it seen versus how should you know legal frameworks be seen? Sure, yeah. So I think that it's probably fair to say that, you know, um, MSPs are not alone and not liking contracts. You know, let's face it, no one really likes having to deal with the legals and the contracts. And probably there is the perception that it's a necessary evil, you know, to, to have a contract in place. And really that perception that it's for the worst case scenario, like if I, if I, if I face legal proceedings, uh, you know, I have a contract, you know, so that's so that's a, a good thing, but it's going to cost me to have that and doesn't necessarily, you know, provide me any, any value as such because I've been in business for 20 years and I haven't had a problem. Yeah. Now, that, that perception that there hasn't been a problem can be quite quickly, uh, you know, discussed and, um, and, and eroded that, that thinking because, of course, there are problems um, – you know, quite regularly in terms of the sorts of things that I mentioned earlier, out of scope work being handled without additional charges, 
uh, responsibilities that really you didn't expect to take on, but which your customers expect you to take on. So in terms of a value center, um, it's about reclaiming some of that that revenue leakage, um, not leaving the money on the table, and also, um, um, you know, giving yourself some greater upsell opportunities by putting boundaries around the services that you are providing. So that makes it easier to see for the customer uh, what you're providing and what you're not providing. I also imagine having these sorts of frameworks in place, having the agreements in place would also add value, enterprise value to an MSP. If it was looking at being purchased by another entity, understanding that risks had been mitigated, um, profitability was was maximized and that you know all agreements in place with with both suppliers and clients were very clear on on where each delineated mm-hmm. yeah it's it's part of you know that that level of maturity with with an msp that you know it usually goes alongside other operational uh, aspects of their maturity um, their processes become better formulated um, internally and in dealing with customers, their onboarding becomes more process-driven. The way they actually um, operate across a variety of aspects of their business becomes more more process-driven. And alongside that, you know, the agreements sit well to reflect those processes um, out to customers. All right. Well, so yes, it certainly does add value to the business. And you know, for MSPs looking to sell, you know, if you are coming in and advising a purchaser of of any business. You know, you do due diligence and, um, of course, lawyers will look through agreements. Um, If the agreements are non-existent or very, very old and out of date or expired, um, then that's going to uh, negatively impact the value of the business. Hmm. So I guess, you know, from with your sales hat on, I guess basically you'd be telling MSPs that they should be seeing these these legal frameworks as almost an insurance policy and a profit maximizer rather than a, a, a cost base or a nice to have. It's it's uh, it's it's those other two things I said at the start there. Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. Okay, so let's get specific though. So so what in your view are the the key agreements or frameworks that MSPs just have to have in place? What are the the most important of them? Sure. So there are usually four. Uh, for MSPs. The first is their managed services agreement. And for a lot of managed service providers, they think that is their one agreement, right. you know, so so that everything else uh, is covered within that managed services agreement. Now, of course, the problem with that is that the customer being presented with one agreement, um, you know, takes on that assumption. In fact, you're, in, you're encouraging the assumption that you're then they're responsible for everything because if you're putting everything into one agreement, then, you know, that, that's kind of a natural expectation that the IT company is looking after everything. So we split off that managed services piece and, you know, it's usually a, quite a, a prominent piece of the business, but it is one piece. So you've also got the reselling of uh, 365, so, and particularly with the MCE changes, that's, that's um, becoming or become much more important for that agreement between the partner and their customer for the reselling of those Microsoft services. And then alongside that, the reselling of other third-party cloud services. So, you know, the vendors are not taking full responsibility for the performance, the functionality, the availability of the services that they are selling and so why would the MSP take on that responsibility? So the only way we can deal with that is by having, you know, the MSP having their own contract with the customer. 
it's not good enough to say, well, isn't that the job of the Microsoft customer agreement? Why do I need my own agreement? Well, of course, the Microsoft customer agreement is between Microsoft and the customer. It's not a contract. It's not the reseller's contract. So the managed services, the reselling of 365, the reselling of other third-party services, and uh, something to cover their projects, projects and time materials work. Okay. There's there's a bit well. bit to unpack there. So with the uh, first question, I guess, is where there's third-party applications being used, whether it's Microsoft or something else, as the terms uh, with those or the the um, the terms of engagement with those vendors are updated, and it's often, you know, just we've updated our terms, click here to agree or whatever, um, how do mm-hmm. how should MSPs ensure that they understand what that means for them and their interactions with their clients or, in fact, with that vendor, and, and how do they keep up to date in terms of the frameworks you've mentioned? Mm, so, well, it, it will come down to what, what agreement that the reseller has with the customer as to, uh, you know, as to the way, the basis on which they're reselling that service. You know, also you've got to be cognizant of what that, of what the vendor's requirements of the reseller are. So, you know, it, it does, uh, it does get quite involved, um, but it, it does come down to what's actually agreed. So that's why I encourage partners to think, of the contract, not as something that is, you know, uh, mysterious or they, they 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 can't deal with it. It's actually, these are your agreements, you know, whatever agreements that you are putting in front of customers, obviously the vendor agreements is something else, mm. but the agreements that you're putting in front of customers should be agreements that, number one, you understand um, and that, and they're, they're appropriate for, for the business that, and the services that you are providing. And secondly, that uh, your customers can understand them. Because if it's, you know, in a different language, full of legalese or full of jargon, then it makes it very difficult to reach real agreement. And I think that's, you know, that's a really key point is that MSPs should be looking to get real agreement with their customers, not just, I've got a contract, you know, because a lot of those where it may be based on some very plain terms and conditions without much information about the actual services being provided is uh, only goes part of the way. I was just thinking too, I've had experience with some vendors where they just simply don't have a service level agreement. They'll say, you know, it's pretty much best effort, but the problem with that is the end user. So if you're the reseller of that service and your customer's like, well, I'm not prepared to be down for six hours. I want some guarantees around service delivery. Often if you're keen for the business, you'll you'll make some claim. But I guess the, the process of of aligning your agreements or trying to make sure you understand what you can and can't abide by with your vendor agreement uh, may also at times if you're really clinical about it preclude you from selecting some vendors if they can't actually give you the kind of information that your customers are going to expect i imagine then just going through this process almost vets some some options out yeah and it's important for the msps to to be um to be knowledgeable or at least aware of what their vendors are requiring of them and and what they expect of customers. Um, you know, I've seen in some situations where uh, vendors, the vendors' terms and conditions actually are on, only apply to the reseller. So when the reseller is on selling that service, those terms and conditions are not applying. So you know that that is quite a different scenario again, but becoming a, a little bit more common in fact right okay another thing to watch out for uh so with the the 
the frameworks. If you've got an agreement, MSA, uh, and and it's all signed, and that's great. And then you have a conflict where a customer says, look, I think you owe me some sort of a rebate because we were down for this long, or you didn't deliver this part of the project or whatever it might be. You say, look, under the terms of the agreement, you're wrong, I'm right, that's fine. At that point, I guess it, you, you have to be prepared to to go to court to to or, or some sort of arbitration or something to 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 come to a conclusion. So I guess my my sort of roundabout question here is, um, do the do you have to be prepared if you have these agreements to actually stand by them and and you know go to bat with them behind you as as, as your protection almost? Um, and, and I guess secondly, how often have you seen? Agreements like this um, used, but then ultimately, when a customer gets angry, the MSP is like, "I don't want to lose the customer, so I'm actually not going to enforce the terms of this agreement because that would be worth more mm. than, you know, than than being right is worth." Mm. I think. Well, there's a few things in there. Sorry. <laughs> um, first of all, you know, I think you know the speed at which everything is done these days and signing agreements in amongst all of that is. Um, is potentially problematic for the MSP. So, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, or let me take an example. You know, there was uh, one partner, Nick, came to us. He had a problem. Um, He'd been, you know, in business for 20 years. Um, They were attracting some great customers. And he said to me, you know, uh, we don't have a problem with agreements. The customers just sign. In fact, they often don't even read the agreement. The problems only start after that. Okay, so you can immediately see the issue there. The customer has not absorbed and, um, you know, and uh, understood really what the service commitment is because they haven't even looked at it. Now, um, you would hope that if they do look at it, it's very clear, but you get those sorts of scenarios and, you know, and even if, even if that customer does look at it, there's gray areas and so on. So, what we're really looking for is an alignment of expectations. It needs to be, you know, if you think about uh, the the disparate expertise between the MSP and the customer, you know, and I call this the barrier of expertise because, of course, the, the MSP has a lot of knowledge and experience. The customer has very little. Now, if you're, if you're getting the customer to very quickly sign agreements based on trust, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you, you are potentially inviting problems right from day one because you haven't got that uh you know that expect the expectations of the customers matching your own you know there, there's been no um there's been no process that you've that you've put in place to to encourage that so that's what you really want to see the agreement as being that um that mechanism by which you are recording what you're agreeing and getting an alignment or a matching of expectations. Now, going forward from there, you know, with a with a more you know level playing field uh, sort of uh, relationship, um, you you then are opening up an easier dialogue when things come up or when things are misunderstood potentially, um, and so you know you're much less likely to need that that reactive type of protection in terms of disputes now. You know, prior to starting um, IT Agree, I'd been already working in the industry for 20 plus years. I'd had only three clients that had faced legal proceedings. And I don't do this a little bit of the time. I'm working on IT contracts all day, every yeah. day. Uh, and I had three clients that had faced legal proceedings. None of them had gone to okay. court. Right. So, 
you if you move to that playing field of a much more proactive approach to to risk reduction, um, it does it does make a big difference. You know, along the way, I saw uh, terrible scenarios of you know tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of um, of money at stake due to misunderstandings and you know, that's, you, you just don't want to go there. Now, once you have got the good agreement in place and, you know, that's going to encourage the strong working relationship between the parties, then it's a matter of actually um, operating in a way that's uh, reflective of what's in that agreement. So the processes that you're using within your business should be reflected in your agreement and your agreement should, you know, reflect that. So you get situations like, you know, for example, in implementation projects where you've got an acceptance testing clause and everyone's signing this all day long, every day, you know, every day, and it's not actually the process that's followed. Right. You know, so that's entirely unhelpful. Um, and the same in the MSP world, if you've got, you know, things whereby let's say you have some, you know, out of scope, some exclusions, but you're always doing that work anyway, you're you're really changing the course of what's actually been agreed between the parties. So mm. it's it's like you know once you have agreement, then operate in accordance with that agreement. It doesn't mean pulling the agreement out all the time, but it means um, the people who are responding to customers should be aware of relevant uh, mechanisms that have been incorporated in what's been agreed. So so how much of your role then is about actually going to your customers and saying look here's the agreement you're actually going to be presenting to clients. Here's how you need to actually uh, go through that with them, you know, document that you've actually explained things to them, uh, to, to your end users, uh, and that they've clearly understood it and that you've now got a working framework that that all parties are aligned on. So how much of that is you coaching or, or sitting with them or at least giving them the tools to work through that going forward? Of me doing yeah. that? Um, well, you know, I think there is there is a little bit of an educational um, process involved in our, in our service, and you know, uh, potentially changing the thinking a little bit about what the agreement is for, what the contract's for, and how to go about it. You know, uh, looking for the fastest way to get a contract signed might give you short term, you know, satisfaction, um, and you know, really pleased to have signed up the new customer, but. Um, as I, as you've heard with this, with the story I told earlier, um, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily bode well for the for the future and the the reducing of the risk. So, so it's, it's about you know the processes that are put in place to to help get that agreement. Right, and just in a, in a practical sense, um, you've been talking about how um, having clear service deliverables will ensure that you maximize profit because you don't have people on your help desk or whatever, accepting requests that they, they see through to completion that can't be charged because it's not within the terms of the agreement. How do you, in in, a, in real world, how does that follow through the business um, where, you know, the people on the, the the help desk probably have no idea what's been signed, uh, that they're not going to be privy to that. So how does it flow through the business from, uh, you know, the, the, the key decision makers being aware, aligned, the agreement's tight to when someone else within that business goes through the help desk, run me through that. How does that, that protection actually get to that stage? So it's, there are practical, there are performance-related aspects within the agreement, and it's really important that the, the MSP um, gives that information to the extent needed to the right people. Right. You know, if, 
if you've agreed that your managed service includes one, two, three, four, five, and your people on the help desk are responding and helping with requests, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, um, then your profitability is going to be reduced because you plan, you know, your your profitability is going to be based on your your per user price or whatever basis of pricing is in your managed service. And uh, if if you're continually going out of scope, then of course that's going to reduce your profitability. So it's just an uh, important business aspect to make sure that the people who are responding to those requests are doing so with the confidence that they are, um, you know, that their response is in line with what's been agreed. Yeah. Doesn't mean to doesn't mean they have full copy of the contract. There could be, you know, um, uh, and depending on on what sort of uh, what sort of applications they're using to run their run their business yeah. and manage those services as well. Yeah, I'd be thinking, you know, their CRM uh, would under that account have some sort of a deliverables or, or link to a, a sort of key takeaways document or something, and then says, you know, unsure whether we should be charging, speak to your supervisor or something. Like, there's going to be some level of awareness, some baseline. Yeah. It does or doesn't fit within that framework. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good point, and that's you know, it. Like, I mean. It, it, I mentioned some of the uh, the implementation projects and, you know, for those projects where you've got testing running through and you have, um, you know, uh, users within the customer raising a whole lot of um, issues as defects, mm-hmm. but the, um, and the developer just going ahead and making changes all the time, if that sort of issue of defect versus change is not resolved, then, of course, those, those are where those sorts of projects are going wildly out of scope and it's the same sort of thing with the msp the people who are dealing with the requests need to have the uh the knowledge is there a um like an insurance policy compliance element to any of these agreements at all is it whether it's in the cyber the cyber security space or just um um i guess uh delivering what's been promised that kind of thing i'm not sure but but and again pretty vague question but if you do any of these agreements essentially help uh, reduce um uh, whether it's policy uh, costs or just if, if you went to lodge a claim that that you're more likely not to get any pushback so i think you know the the list of requirements in, in pi insurance now is getting longer and longer and with cyber liability insurance as well so it would depend on on the questions that are being asked, but, you know, I think that it's, um, uh, it's pretty common for insurance companies to want to know that you have contracts in place with the clients. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, and really, I suppose that in the cybersecurity space, particularly where there's a lot of applications being used, if a particular vulnerability exists, whether it's the issue or the, 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 the fault of the, the application where maybe the patching wasn't done or the, end user who you know fell victim to to some sort of a phishing attack or the MSP for not uh, training making them aware of it or patching it themselves whatever again do these frameworks really look to address the the culpability uh, based on you know delineating between the you know the service the MSP the end user yes you know I mean th- there are always going to be out of scope issues and you know there's a layer of protection around you know, you, you made a recommendation, the customer didn't take up your recommendation and, and then had a problem. And if they had have taken up your recommendation, they wouldn't have had that problem. So it's a matter of of, of thinking of all, all those sorts of scenarios and really um, making sure that your commitment to the customer are things that are, that are in your control. 
you know. So so I've seen you know MSPs put in extremely tight response times um, to support requests being made, and they are entirely confident that they can meet that. But the, the times are so short that it actually allows zero margin for for error there. Um, so you know I would say make sure that you can comfortably meet what's in your commitment and that what's in your commitment is within your control because if something's out of your control you know if you're relying on um, endpoint protection as part of the security for a customer um, then don't take full responsibility for that endpoint protection because it's not your product mm. and the vendor is not taking full responsibility for it so as I said earlier why, why would you as the MSP? It might be a difficult one for you to answer but with your, your legal hat on to what extent are MSPs liable for uh, you know lack of business continuity in the events of a of a cyber attack, so that people can't work because the network's down, the systems are down, um, they're the provider of services. Yeah, to what extent are they are they liable, and, and have we actually seen it yet where MSPs have been you know uh, taken to task to to provide you know essentially the to offset the lost uh, lost revenue these businesses have had su- have suffered. Yeah, so again, it comes down to, to what you what you agree with the customer. Um, and so that's, you know, it's really important to, to be clear if you're providing uh, security services or not. And if you are providing security services, then um, to what extent those security services are going to, to keep the customer protected. Now, I've worked with a number of security specialists in uh you know they will they will openly say they cannot guarantee security. So, yeah. so I think you know that's that's a good starting point. You can't yep. guarantee security, and you might see websites and you know promotional material. You know we we protect you. Um, so those sorts of things, and um, you know the, the those sort of big statements need to um, need to be assessed in terms of your of your risk. And indeed, what you're putting into your agreements in in that regard. And, and also, how much of a living document are these agreements? You know, it, it is quite important to update agreements. Um, and you know, when a partner asked me recently, why why would I need to update my agreements? Um, of course, I get asked that reasonably often. But one recently, and I just said, you know, in the last five years, have your services changed? Well, of course, you know, he said, of course our services have changed. They change much more frequently than five years. Mm-hmm. So when your services change, then what you need to agree with the customer um, may well change as well. It doesn't mean it inevitably changes, but I think it's fair to say that over the course of five years, um, your agreements should be changing. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time, my experience is probably, you know, 12 to 18 months um, MSP should be looking, taking a good hard look at their agreements and seeing if they're still fitting the types of services that they're providing and considering that in light of market changes, you know, what's going on with vendors and, and what's going on in the marketplace, what are the trends in terms of what customers are uh, requiring and demanding because customers are becoming more sophisticated in their understanding and can make greater requests when they see what's going on. And also, of course, what's going on with your own services and the way you're providing them. Because, um, you know, we see some MSPs whose 
who have entirely changed their model and they're using the same agreement and it's it's it just is a terrible fit. So it's going to be mm. providing uh, much less protection than what they might hope. What are some of the worst ones you've seen? Because I imagine a lot of people come to you going, look, I, I grabbed this online, found it somewhere, plagiarized something I had from my last company or whatever it is, you know. Uh, have you just seen some absolute shockers that that really just almost provide no framework and or protection at all? Yes. <laughs> Short answer, absolutely. <laughs> it's a very easy answer to that one. Um, yeah. You know, the sorts of things range from terms and conditions that are either far too um, generic or um, or don't don't address, or in other words, don't address the sorts of services being provided, um, or they might address the type of services that were provided a number of years ago, but don't now. Mm-hmm. Um, very very loose, you know. So very very loose is a problem um, when things are uncertain, have grey areas. You know, it's um, you know some of the tests could be just you know. Does this make sense? If I'm a customer, do I understand what I'm getting? Do I understand yeah. what I'm not getting? And so you could look to, you know, what's in, what's included in the managed service and some MSPs will uh, put a list of things and that, that list without any description often creates some danger points. Uh, one I looked at recently and they had, you know, a six-month security review, but that's all it said. Right. So. What is the outcome of that? Um, there were quite a number of things in that particular one which had no timeframes on, uh, no reference to whether that that element of the managed service was a third-party offering or not, and it turned out that a lot of the elements were third-party offerings. Um, so that same problem again of, you know, the vendors not taking full responsibility, why should you? Mm-hmm. So it's really about... You know, what's needed is that simple translation that your customers can understand um, what they, what, of what they can see, of what they can expect. What's, what's going to go through the customer's mind when they look at that agreement? And you do want them to look mm. at it, you know, to get the benefit of the proactive protection. What does the customer understand by looking at that agreement? because it needs to be meaningful to the customer. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, getting rid of that or, or getting through that barrier of expertise. I think, I think you know, it's important to recognise also that you're talking about a legal document. So it has to have a certain level of, of certainty even to be enforceable. Yeah. Um, but then uh, if, if we assume that it is enforceable and it's got a sufficient level of certainty to be enforceable, there can still be grey areas which would tend to work against the MSP. Okay. And as you said before, especially with the MSP trying to look after and retain the customer. Yeah, that's it. You don't want to, yeah, you want to be pretty sure you're right if you're going to sort of, you know, take the customer to task uh, and and that you can come across as something other than a complete, uh, just, a, just a bad actor because you're, you're very clear on what was agreed. But uh, my question as well was going to be that I imagine in companies of, you know, MSPs of 20 to 30 people, sometimes it's hard for someone to actually realize that it's on them to make sure all of this stuff is as it should be. Uh, perhaps you're the the CEO, but you know, you've just always felt like that was maybe the, the COO or the, the head of product or, or someone else's job. And it's never been, you know, roles and responsibilities that has fallen outside of that framework. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's right. 
it sort of leads me on to my question. What's the path that when people come to you, what path have they taken to get there? What series of events have happened or what's the problem they're usually looking to solve? Is it they've had an interaction with a client, realized there's a massive gap? Is it that it's just part of their scaling up? They're looking to work within a particular framework and that that's something that's been raised as a missing piece. What have you seen? Yeah, so there are a number of trigger points. It's not often that they've had legal proceedings no. with a client. So, um, you know, it's often something that they've been meaning to do for a while and then the trigger point arrives and they, you know, now is the time I must deal with this. It can be that they are getting larger customers. Um, the customers may be demanding that they have contracts. So we'll sign up with you, but we need to see your, your contract. Yep. Uh, and that point they realize their contract is very out of date with the service they provide. So it could be their customers. It could be that, they're they're simply growing and they realize we need to increase our level of maturity it can be that they um they are they are experiencing revenue leakage and this is true for a lot of msps i think it's it's very very common um they're experiencing revenue leakage and they know that they need to do something about it or they will continue to lose out mm-hmm. so you know it's the sleepless nights it's the you know, how far do we go in looking after our customers at our own cost if we're handling extra tasks all the time? Um, sometimes it's that they haven't actually, um, you know, they don't believe there's a way forward from that. And that's particularly one thing I hate to see because, you know, you've got uh, managed service providers providing amazing services. On the surface, things look good, but underneath, they're very concerned about business risk and don't have that pathway forward to manage risk, to navigate change. And those sorts of things can be, you know, not only impacting their bottom line, but impacting their enjoyment of life at work, Mm -hmm. impacting their life generally, you know, in some cases. So there comes a time when they want to do something about that. Now, you know, there can be, areas where they've added on new services. So, you know, um, uh, MSPs adding on security services to the types of services that they're offering. So they realize, well, actually we need a security services agreement for that um, or other types of services that they are growing growing into or expanding into. Mm-hmm. Um, the NCE changes have brought a, a lot of partners to the point that, yes, we need to protect ourselves much better here with the with all of the changes that have gone on there and the payment risks. And that becomes then a time where actually we really need to look at our contracts generally. That's actually a really good point. Just the the regulatory framework that IT companies are working within is constantly evolving, right? And and, and it's probably getting more regulated as we've seen with Optus this week. There's probably going to be some some, uh, outcomes from that in terms of the framework that telcos have to work within. Um, So... Regardless of the size of the MSP, there's likely to just be the need to engage with people like you because, you know, there, there are just compliance um, uh, requirements. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, even when you look at um, data protection, personal data protection, you know, there are requirements as mm. well. Yeah. So, um, you, what you do is pretty niche. How do people usually find you? Is it that you work with Microsoft, as you said earlier, or you've, you've you started by sort of going to them and going, "Hey, look, uh, user agreements." They they find us through through social media, through through chat groups, okay. through forums, hearing about us from colleagues. 
um, from from multiple sources. Actually, they when I ask where they've heard about us from, they often it's a number of it's a number of places. Yeah, right. It's funny with this industry. It's usually like uh, everyone when I ask people with these different sort of MSP related organizations, it's like it's all it's all word of mouth. People tell people they've it's a relatively closed environment. I think it's you know one to two thousand MSPs across Australia and New Zealand and you know, there's everyone kind of stays in the same industry, so they just go around and yeah. Anyway, um, uh, the, the this one's a, a slightly uh, left field question, and and uh, you know, I have to answer it with your um, IT agree hat on, but just in a general sense, I was at a conference a little while ago, and and um, the CIO, I think it was, of uh, Rio Tinto was saying about paying ransoms for. Um, uh, their, their policy, the company policy on paying ransoms is a hard no unless there is a, a risk to somebody's life. Uh, so someone's on a mine site or a mining site, some automation would be uh, compromised. Maybe it's a ventilation shaft and therefore that person's life would be at risk if the network was to stop working. So uh, I guess my question for you just from a, from a legal standpoint is how complex is that space around you know the ethics the liability if if there is a company policy to not pay a ransom, the outcome is that there is an impact in terms of health and safety, whether it was just increased risk or something actually happened. Um, mm. With all the complexity around that, you know, what what likelihood was there of that happening? How much did the company know was going to happen? How complex is that whole landscape getting now from a, from a legal standpoint? Mm, it's a good question. So, you know, there's always going to be trade-offs if you've got the likes of someone's life in, in the balance versus paying money, you know, I think a, a strong starting point is, you know, don't don't accede to the to the uh, to the the hackers' requests because uh, so it only encourages them. And of course, the insurance companies are increasingly not not liking that at all because uh, it's mm. just becoming too expensive for them. Um, but then, um, you know, looking at other factors, you know. Are you going to be um, non-compliant with health and safety legislation or, or whatever it is? And um, in in refusing to pay a ransom, you know, then I think it's it's going to be very much a, a case by case as to the severity and and what the actual risk to the to the business, um, to people's lives and livelihoods. And you know, um, I don't think there's there's one easy answer to that. That's the crazy thing. I don't think there is. And and if you start going, okay, well, what's got the greater cost implications for the business um, being non-compliant in terms of health and safety and taking the penalties that apply there, or taking the um, the the cost of the ransom and knowing that the insurance element won't come to the party because of of stated policies or, or exclusions on the policy, it gets to be a very mm. kind of gross black and white numbers decision when there could be people's you know lives uh, on the line and. Um, and I think, you know, particularly in the Australian market where there is so much mining activity and there's so much of that that sector and so many people employed in that sector and utilities and other things and everything's increasingly, you know, part of the internet of things. It's, um, it's just a really gray area and one that's just rife with ethical complexity. You know, it's just, it's really got me thinking over the last couple of weeks since I saw that presentation going, mm. you know, mm. you hope the people making these decisions are being paid well and, uh, and <laughs> I don't know, are far smarter than me because that's a minefield. Yeah, excuse the pun. <laughs> Didn't even mean to. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> All right, look, well, having, having absolutely uh, thrown that, that uh, curveball at you, 
Um, anything you'd like to cover off that we haven't specifically covered off um, relating to your business, the market, or, or anything you've got coming up? I think I think that we've covered um, probably most of the main areas that are that are important um, to recap. You know about around um, the the role clarity and setting boundaries around the different services that you're providing, mm-hmm. um, and then in each of the services, getting getting real agreement, getting an alignment of expectations with customers, and thirdly, having got those good agreements in place, actually making decisions that are that are based on what's in the agreements because the agreements should then you know of course be correlating with your own processes so so it's a, it's a it should be a strong triangle there you know mm. um, and in terms of um, something I would like to mention the um, in terms of people getting getting hold of us and getting getting something of of value that they might like to look at um, we do have an eight point checklist that they can access. Uh, it's on our site at itagree.com forward slash checklist. Great. And you're on LinkedIn as well, of course. Absolutely. Yes. Great. All right. That's Anne Hall, A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L. Makes it yes. nice and easy uh, from IT Agree. Okay, great, Anne. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for taking the time uh, and the expertise shared. Thank you very much.